Welcome to You Ought to Know. Say hello, Grace. I dare you to say hello. Hello, Grace. I'm Grace. Oh, wow. It's like a reference to Shrek 2, the hit movie starring Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers. Wow. Imagine if we had someone on hand to talk about Shrek 2 and also the entire Shrek franchise. Wouldn't that just be wild? I know. And imagine, you know, if it was the month of February, a.k.a. the most romantic month of the year where uh, Scorpios are conceived. Oh, my God. Were you conceived in February, Grace? Were you a Valentine's Day baby? Well, you know what? It's Valentine's Day and it's also my dad's birthday. So, okay. Let's let's not dwell on this any further. Okay, we figured it out. Thank you. I think Nathan's an evil uh, Scorpio as well, our guest. Hello, Nathan. Hello, hello. I was actually born to the day nine months after Valentine's Day. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know how to feel right now. As a yeah. Cancer Leo Cuspy, I'm surrounded by evil. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm, I I was born on the wrong day. Maybe I should be a Scorpio like you two. You can, we can, I think we have the power to grant you an unofficial Scorpio. We have that power, right, Nathan? I was like, you know what? I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, one of the most wild things I've encountered on the internet was this was this young woman who lied about a lot of things on the internet. For example, um, she lied about being from Afghanistan. She was actually Desi. Um, she lied about dating The weekend because, I mean, like, who amongst us hasn't? Um, I think the most bizarre thing she lied about was that finally when people were like, okay, but actually, who are you? Um, she then provided, like, a copy of her government ID. And they were like, yeah, that's not the birthday you said you like had and she was like yeah but everyone on the internet hates gemini's a lot and i didn't want to be hated (laughs) that was a beautiful story (laughs) i thought it was about me initially (laughs) Ah, i was like okay you dated the weekend is it a hadid is it selena gomez (laughs) (laughs) you two both have no wait ariana didn't date the weekend she better not she dated big sean i'm getting Right. Um, I mean, it's totally the same, right? Okay, so this month we have a You Ought to Know Valentine Spectacular. Shall we get into the nitty gritty? Grace, let's go. Let's do this. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's Valentine's Day. We want to talk about the most romantic movie franchise of all time. I don't know what we're thinking, Shrek. Yeah, baby. We've got Shrek on the cards. The quality CGI. The uh, classy jokes that don't remind you of a cheesy 90s sitcom. The smash mouth musical numbers. Yes, the fart humour, the the layers of onions. The Eddie Murphy. The parfait and all all the sex jokes in the kids' movie. So I suppose let's just, let's kick off with why, why Shrek? Nathan, why do you love Shrek so much? And do you feel that Shrek is the most romantic film of all time? Right, okay, so um, I guess I'll start by explaining perhaps kind of like where my passion for Shrek came from. Your Shrek origin story. Exactly, so to speak. Um, Yeah, um, I remember right around the time that Shrek came out, it was released in 2001, which I think is around the time that Americans started swapping out um, VHS and cassette players for DVDs. And we'd gone to visit my family overseas and brought back one of those like 
classic early 2000s, kind of like a three ring binder, but instead of for like, I don't know, tax forms, it was for um, like knockoff DVDs where, you know, someone had clearly set up a camera in the theater. You could see people's heads. It was like, uh, there were subtitles in Malay. Um, so we got, amongst a number of movies, we got the first Shrek. And as we were phasing out the VHS system, like my family didn't have cable. We didn't really watch that much television. So instead we just watched the movies we had on hand, which quite often growing up would just be Shrek. So I think my relationship to Shrek, would I say it's a romantic movie? Yeah, it is quite romantic, I would say. It's a perfect first to fourth date. You know, when you're trying to figure out whether or not you're going to bang someone. I, was, I would say Shrek is a great litmus test for that. Um, but I, I kind of like view it with the rose-tinted glasses and the kind of nostalgia of the other people who serve for things like, say, 10 Things I Hate About You or whatever. I don't care that much for Julia Stiles. Shrek is my Julia Stiles, if that makes sense. So, you know, Julia Stiles was in classic dance film, uh, Save the Last Dance. Right. So there's a scene in Ten Things I Hate, where you're just getting so wildly off topic already, where she like drunkenly dances on the table and apparently right. the producers of Save the Last Dance watched that film and they were like, huh, yeah, that's a ballerina if ever I've seen one. <laughs> we celebrate white mediocrity on this podcast, Grace. If you can't appreciate that, you get out. <laughs> so <laughs> how do you feel the sequels compare to the masterful original? Okay, I would say, I know this is controversial, but I would say Shrek 2, canonically, is the best Shrek. You know what? I think I'm with you. I was thinking about this earlier. Absolutely the same Same here. John Cleese is fantastic, even though John Cleese is a prick now. Uh, wow. Antonio Banderas kills it. Oh, um, the All the um, references to different American stores and the excess of He's capitalism as right. they enter the kingdom of far, far away. That was some good meta-commentary, I felt. Really? Even just like, if only for Jennifer Saunders singing uh, Holy Out for a Hero. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Iconic. Some argue, and by some, I mean me, that it's better than the Bonnie Tyler original. I would say there's a time and place for both. That's yeah. that much fairer critique. Both could coexist, and now you're pitting women <laughs> against each other. Oh my god, I'm not Michelle Visage, let's be real. <laughs> That's the thing I worry about with this remake because Michelle Visage will definitely be in it. Oh, entirely. Yeah, that's. Do you want to take take quick predictions? I feel like it would be a, an ugly stepsister. Yeah, okay, I was going to say, is Larry King still alive? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I okay. hate that I, Morley I Safe is the one that's dead. Uh, I generally, because Larry King plays Doris, the ugly stepsister. Uh, I never okay. knew that. No, I literally know that Larry King is alive because Tracy Mattel went on okay. Larry King's show recently. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you're, letting, you're letting your nerd show. It's fine. We appreciate <laughs> that. I guess, but there's still like two more ugly stepsisters to introduce, if I remember correctly. There's plenty of space. Plenty of space for Michelle Visage to, mm. uh, It I Shrek, the remake will actually just be every role played by Michelle Visage. Who will replay? Uh, the gingerbread man, obviously. You think he can get his voice that high? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> With the right tuck, I think. Exactly. Gonna need oh, a better tuck for that one. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's any drag queens who can do falsetto. I'm trying to think back to the songs um, that they recorded oh, over the years. Monique. Definitely Monique. Can she? 
Oh yeah, well, yes, of course. She walks in falsetto twenty four. She would be a good gingerbread man. She would be. She'd be fantastic. She <laughs> has become a voice actress. She is doing such a good, like such a phenomenal job as the narrator of the most recent season of All Star. Yeah. She ties everything together in a cohesive story. And I don't know how much the producers are involved in that, seeing as they see, they fail to do it every other season that she's not on. Right. No, neither. And it I doesn't even have a crutch on Game of Thrones, like uh, All Stars 3 with Shangela. Oh, God. <laughs> you mean the most interesting talking head ever? I would say. <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen Game of Thrones, so I know nothing about it. The, all the references were lost on me. But from what I understood, even Game of, Game of Thrones fans didn't like it either. Yeah, I mean, I try to make it a habit not to listen to Game of Thrones fans, just like in general. But I also haven't seen the show. I don't know why we're talking about this. I'm sorry. I just took us on a tangent. My apologies. <laughs> well, Grace, you can ask the next question then. Thank you so much. So this is interesting. I've been thinking about this as well. I actually recently rewatched the first film for the first time in a long time. So Nathan, how do you think the films hold up and have your feelings for them changed over the years? Right. Um, actually, I, re- I woke up this morning and rewatched the first film. And I think, you know, as we were discussing earlier, I think it is quite interesting as a case study in how far CGI has come. Definitely. <laughs> this was my main issue with the film. I was like, this CGI is so much worse than I remembered. It's yeah, like that glossy overcast of everything. It's just, I think that the mud looks good. Not the, not the moving mud, like the, the mud on the floor. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and it's like not quite like, you know, kind of like a Sega Dreamscape or like Nintendo 60 floors, Super Smash Brothers, but it is still like quite blocky, quite um, crude, so to speak. But I also find that kind of refreshing. I find that kind of uh, like a lot less disorienting than say, I mean, do you remember the Polar Express? When that movie came out, because kids were so terrified by this advanced CGI. Shrek never had that problem. Shrek looks like a bunch of like dolls came to life, except someone like put a bunch of Instagram filters and saved it as a JPEG in 256K. It's fine. It's fine. I don't know. I think they've all held up. I kind of like the crude, the vulgarity of it all, um, which I think is also quite interesting because Shrek was kind of um, DreamWorks' way of, if I understand correctly, Shrek was DreamWorks' way of kind of like solidifying their brand identity as entertainment for young people that adults can enjoy, uh, which was built out of the uh, kind of like original feud between DreamWorks and Pixar. um, When I think it was like 1997, maybe 1998, um, both of them had, you know, classic films, both of them had films about animated insects coming to life. Um, Pixar had It's a Bug's Life, uh, DreamWorks had ants. Starring Woody Allen. Exactly. And well, you, there's two sex, sexual predators in uh, in uh, both movies. It's either Kevin <gasps> Spacey or Woody Allen. Oh, is Kevin Spacey a He's the evil guy who looks like Lord. Fitting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Shit. Okay. Also, in terms of, like, DreamWorks versus um, Pixar, what, was, what were um, Pixar up to in, like, Shrek era, like 2001. Like, what was the competition? Oh, I think that 
I feel like that was probably like maybe Toy Story 2 territory. Okay. I'm just maybe. looking it up now to see see so we have a little uh a gauge on what was going on in Pixar history in 2001. <laughs> we do our research. <laughs> okay, I, yeah. That's crazy in terms of the animation. Like the Toy Story films looked like so okay. They Bye. had their three hits, so Toy Story in 95, A Bug's Life in 98, and Toy Story 2 in 99. Uh, 2001, then you have Monsters, Inc. So you still, okay. but it is also very similar to Shrek in that, you know, finding the humanity in monsters or things that are, might be uh, unsightly. So, right. <laughs> yeah, I think it kind of carries similar themes in a way, but yeah. a much different take on it. And a much more, like, I mean, Pixar, the entire thing is it's kind of softer focus, a softer angle. Mm. more like emotional attachment in shall we say heavy-handed terms things about like this narrative of like monsters inc around the young girl and um you know this overarching metaphor for like it's okay to be scared accept yourself love yourself we all have strengths whatever in the same way that like i don't know a decade later they would have up which is about loss and love and open-mindedness and etc um in a way that again is just so different than the DreamWorks position, which is often quite crude, quite like, you know, reliant on potty humor, so to speak. Um, it feels like, yeah, DreamWorks is definitely more like, let's throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> but it never veers like into a cynical. Yeah, it never veers into quite um, into a cynical territory either. They do manage to strike that balance quite well. Yeah. As, yeah, as cheap as some of the jokes are, I think that they did a good job. Even with the crappiest Shrek films, I don't think it ever loses that. Do you think any of the humour like, really doesn't hold up anymore? Or like, do you guys think the films still genuinely are funny? I really enjoy them. I mean, yeah. I first do, definitely. The third is difficult. The fourth, I kind of ignore <laughs> um, it's not canon no. it's, i would say the first two definitely hold up um i think in terms of like in terms of that precise like precision with the satire both of them do like incredible work around narratives of happiness narratives around destiny narratives around love narratives around like self-love and love of others and expectations versus reality i think the two of them still hold up and should I ever become a uncle, um, I'm definitely going to show them to my nieces and nephews. I did find that they were certainly lacking in like the female narrative. Yeah, you had Fiona come out and be strong, but all she ever wanted to do was number one, get married, number two, have kids. <laughs> that's her entire character development. She kicks some people in the first one, that's character development. Oh yeah, totally. Hiya, hiya, hiya. Hashtag female leads. <laughs> that just ticks the box right away but yeah. even when the second one where you had this opportunity to kind of like dig deeper and do some characterization for fiona and find out her internal struggles and how she's coping with being an ogre and this new lifestyle change i mean and it's just like yeah i like it that's it <laughs> so i think it does it does lack in in that area which might be addressed in a in a reboot i have no idea i mean i think at the end of the day the films are all around shrek I recently was reviewing some like um, both like retrospective analyses of Shrek as well as kind of like original sources when Shrek came out. And um, I think one of the things that I kind of glossed over, uh, but in retro, in hindsight, it's entirely true, is that Shrek kind of also solidified 
we can make animated films targeted a, targeting a primarily male audience. Um, and that, yeah, I entirely agree that they do kind of cast Fiona aside and kind of cast the idea of like, I don't know, yeah, any kind of strong female leads. Um, for example, in Shrek 4, I don't know, have you read the, have you read the, the, the summary? I love how I you know. didn't presume that neither of us have watched Shrek 4. <laughs> I think it's true, right? You've not There's seen something to do with babies. I I remember thinking that the fourth one was redundant, seeing as he already went through the baby struggle in the third movie. Right. Is that's it, all I remember. Am I right in thinking it's like an alternative universe kind of thing? Right. Shrek 4. What happens is that Shrek finds himself in an unhappy marriage. Oh my god. And makes a deal with Rumpelstiltskin and then has to try to like reverse Rumpelstiltskin's spell so that he can then like return to his happy marriage. It's very like Ebenezer Scrooge. I don't know, I don't know. That one especially kind of like casts this weird light on the franchise in terms of the way that it deals with like ideas of masculinity and ideals like notions of gendered um, gendered expectations as well. In the in the third one, as much as I watched of it, I, I had to turn it off. I was I was stoned while watching it and even then I had to turn it off. It was that bad. Oh, um that's never good. Yeah. Like when you watch um, a film on an aeroplane and it's not even like aeroplane. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was me with boyhood actually. I turned it off as soon as I heard Coldplay. So it was oh, essentially as soon as the movie started. <laughs> um Shrek's main want and main desire in the uh, third film is just to fuck his wife. Right. I feel like that's his only objective. <laughs> yeah, fuck his wife in his swamp. Right. He doesn't want he doesn't want to um inherit the kingdom. Are they saying that, you know, the male gaze is just to want the opposite of what this very weird gendered notion of what women are supposed to want, i.e. be a princess. I found that quite interesting. I'm not sure if they tackled it <laughs> quite I well. I mean, it definitely did reinforce kind of the narrative of like, I don't know, the David Thoreau figure, the solitary man. I mean, which is how Shrek was established in the first movie. He is in his swamp. He like squeezes the bug to make his toothpaste. He does what he needs and he lives on his own. Um, and I think that kind of narrative was never actually, there was no reconciliation of that, of kind of like, oh, how do how do we take this solitary male figure and fit it into a narrative? And also how does gender work within that? Because as you said, yeah, no, entirely. Like the thing with Fiona and the struggles that came with him marrying into the royal family were also entirely gendered. You know, you see the kind of visual representations of the struggles he has to fit in with the royal family or often things around, you know, fancy dress or manners. Um, the type of things that, you know, you would expect to learn in like, a a debutante school, um, which again, yeah, are incredibly gendered and are something that I don't think the franchise necessarily dealt with. It could have been a big fuck you to capitalism, but instead it was just another instance of Fiona compromising for Shrek again. Because I don't really know if he learnt his lesson by the end yeah. of it. I'm still unsure. I would say no. Yeah. Say that, yeah. But then do you think that's kind of like the, like, weird DreamWorks charm of the film that this is a character that we love and we'll watch films starring but we don't he's not necessarily a nice guy and that's kind of his thing he's like oh, I'm an ogre I'm mean 
I don't know. I feel like the objective of the first film to sh- was to show us that he is a a nice dude underneath there and, and that he would do anything for Fiona. But then mm-hmm. it turns out he does not. Just like real marriage. Ah! This is all sounding hauntingly like grounded in reality. <laughs> That's Probably. how we do our Shrek analysis on you. It also kind know. of sounds like, so I'm sure you guys have seen over the years, there's been quite a few, all these like critiques of Homer Simpson that have been coming out about how he's a terrible person. Yeah. There you go. So it's like, it seems like it's kind of the same thing. Like you have someone that is initially like such a cult, like figure of like masculinity and like warmth and like loves his wife so much. And then uh, like over the years, that storyline kind of is erased and he just becomes like more and more of a terrible person. Right. I don't know whether that's a symptom of we have too many uh, movies itis or it just is a case of male writers not knowing how to cater to all audiences. Yeah. Right. And, and think- also, like, what is, like, what are the limits of what's acceptable masculinity in films? That's, like, some people probably just like, wow, he's got a wife, he's got kids. That shows he's a nice guy. <laughs> he's brawny. <laughs> Shrek is swole. Have you seen his arms? I mean, he can probably carry a lot of logs around his swamp, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I I I think that's kind of veering into like a dirty metaphor, so <laughs> I don't know whose logs he's carrying. <laughs> or what, what porn you're making, Grace. But, is, this you know. the, is this the perfect time to segue into uh the darker and more uh interesting side of the Shrek fandom? Because I feel like that was a perfect cue into Shrek is love, Shrek is life. Oh, <laughs> I think we should explain why I have invited Nathan on this episode, on our Valentine's Spectacular. I hope you're listening to this while having sex with your partner or multiple partners, whatever you enjoy. So Nathan has a, a theory about the Shrek CU, <laughs> the Shrek Cinematic <laughs> Universe, <laughs> and Shrek's involvement in that universe in relation to Fiona. And now I'm going to hand it over to Nathan to explain. Would you like uh, me to talk about the Shrek as the racialized other, or would you like me to talk about the Shrek universe and the lasting memeology around it? We'll do the racialized other first, and then we'll go into the memeology at the tail end, I think. I love that we have options here. Yes. He's a Shrek scholar. A, a <laughs> shroller. Communication is clear in these things. You know, it's key. Um, yeah, so... Uh, a while back, I was filling out an online dating profile because I am single. Um, Date him, bitches. <laughs> um, I was filling out a online dating thing, um, and it said, oh, "God, it was like, okay, what's you know?" One of the prompts was, "What's on your mind?" And I just seen Shrek Two again. I was like, "Shrek Two, beautiful, beautiful, like metaphor for what it's like to meet your." Um, white partner's parents as someone who isn't white. Um, Because, right, I will not say that Shrek is racialized. I would not class Shrek as any particular race because I feel like that's really murky water. That's really murky territory. I mean, like, oh, like, X race. They're like ogres. Oh, I don't know. But in terms of kind of this, like, metaphorical way of how races are otherized and how especially those otherized then fit into white expectations and narratives around marriage, about love, about happiness, about family. I found Shrek 2 actually really believing around that where the 
especially again, like as we were discussing before, you know, around these kind of like rituals, um, there were a lot of like montages that emphasize how Shrek doesn't fit in anymore. Um, or Shrek and Fiona now that she's uh, an ogre, they don't fit into them because into the narratives that um, the king and the queen would like them to, uh, they want them to be prim and proper. They want them to be elegant and charming uh, and smooth. They don't, they essentially just don't want them to be ogres. And I don't know, I always found, I, I found that kind of a touch point to which I could relate. I was about to ask, how does that relate to your personal experience? I mean, I think there's just so many, because I, mean, I don't know, I was raised in Seattle by um, two first generation immigrants um, who kind of like, they figured out how Americans interact through experiencing Americans. Um, and I feel like there are a few cultural miscommunications so to speak, about things um, that they were like, oh, but this is very American. For example, my parents, um, they really, they were like, okay, Americans, they love winning shit. So they um, tried to get me involved in sports. I wasn't very good at them. Uh, but like, again, Americans like to win things. So essentially from the ages of, I don't even know, maybe 13 to 15, I was a competitive mathlete because I would just go to math competitions win a few trophies and they'll be like, see, this is the American dream. You're winning trophies, Americanness. Um, and then that in like kind of those experiences that I very much normalized. I was like, oh, this is like, I'm sure this is what everyone else does at home. Yeah, of course, everyone else is going to math competitions. Um, then talking to white friends, white partners, white coworkers, whatever. And the way that they experience specifically American narratives um, being, you know, fifth generation Americans. There's some people in the States who like to this day brag about having ancestors who came over on the Mayflower. Um, and the way that they experience these kind of like um, narratives around things like family, around things like love, around things like and duty. Um, I found myself then in a similar position of Shrek going to far, far away for the first time where I was like, oh yeah, so. Mm. You do have three different spoons at dinner. How do I do this? I've only ever eaten with my hands before. <laughs> or, exactly. or, a, or one of those larger spoons that you use for soup. I don't know. We use them in Afghan culture as well, those Chinese style spoons. Oh, 100%. Like, give me like a chapati and I'm fine. <laughs> but like, what? I didn't realize, for example, that you're meant to cut things. I think, I still don't know. Are you meant to cut things? Hold the knife in your right hand and use your left hand to navigate the plate with the fork. To this say that's still bizarre to me, mainly because I've maybe used a knife three times in my life. I don't know. Oh, wow. That is commitment. I love it. I'm just kidding. I had a quesadilla with a knife earlier today. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Next, you're going to tell me that you don't have an immigrant weighted blanket. <laughs> um, I don't at my current house, but like my mom was a quilter, so we had so many of those weighted blankets around the house. Yeah. The ones you can't breathe under. Oh, a hundred percent. And you just kind of like, I think we had this like pleather couch that was like incredibly uncomfortable. But so I, it's a breeding ground for sweat. Right. But you still let yourself like pull up kind of like you're marinating for a bit. I don't know. It was great. Did you grow up with those blankets, Grace? I certainly did not. And I really feel like this is something I've missed out on. I remember you and my flatmate when you were at my were both talking about this. And this is such a like lost thing on me because I'm third generation. Oh, I always get this wrong. So like my mom, my mom was born here, 
Right. So I feel like there's that like culture gap from like but people whose parents are first generation, people whose parents are second generation. It's very interesting. But I'm all about these blankets and I very much like one. Oh, I wonder if Shrek has one. I mean... Oh, I see what you did there. That was great. Ah. <laughs> I'm skilled at this. Absolutely skilled. We're going to be on new, new and Noteworthy in the next uh, seven years. Don't worry. Consummate professional. Mm-hmm. I want Grace to segue now because, uh, Nathan, you said that you don't want to assign uh, Shrek to any particular race slash a racialized identity more that it is um, analogous to being othered as um, a person of colour in Western society. But Grace, you have an alphabet theory and I wanted to know if it extends to Shrek. So take it away. So my theory is thus, and that's just the alpha from Wicked is Black. Like, that's it. That's the theory. It's highly complex. Um, <laughs> Lots of thought put into it. I know, right? I always do this. I'm sure you guys can identify as well, but I'll just fixate, or not even that I'll fixate, I'll just assume that certain, like, pop culture figures are people of colour. So, like, I would literally grew up assuming that Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet was black, and right. then had to go and watch, like, horrible, like, Amdram productions at school, and I was like, why is a white dude playing Mercutio? Like, do they not know that it's canon that he's black? <laughs> the Grace Canon. Instead of the Great that American is. Songbook, it's it's your canon for a visual media. I feel like especially in like kind of like between maybe shall we say the eighties up until Common Day, there are a lot of racialized characters. For example, I think the classic example of this um, is the dragon in Mulan who is, for all intents and purposes, racialized as a Black character. Oh, know. definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, Eddie Murphy. It's kind of exactly. a weird realm that he occupied for a while where he was playing animated animals that were very much, yeah, racialized as being Black. The sassy Black sidekick. Exactly. It's not, yeah, it's not even just a Black character, is it? It's, like, based in the, and rooted in these stereotypes as well. Mm. And I wonder how how Ebonics were incorporated in the script. I haven't actually looked up the script, but I wonder how much was intended versus how much of a spin he put on it himself or yeah. how it was guided him during recording sessions. Because this I'd be really interested to know. Peak Eddie Murphy as, I don't know, kind of like Hollywood's favorite black guy, wasn't it? Right. I think this was like the era of like Dr. Doolittle, um, probably all his like Nutty Professor films as well. So I suppose like when you went to go see an Eddie Murphy film, you knew and hit and hit kids movie Daddy Daycare starring Jeff Garlin. Oh, and Angelica Houston, yeah. <laughs> or Huston, how do you pronounce that? I don't know. I'm dumb. <laughs> You've just got to think, Angelica Houston, we've got a problem. She would solve all my problems in one night. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, so instead of being horny on main, we're horny on podcast now. We are. <laughs> <laughs> Making waves. I'm just finding myself thinking about the Goofy movie as well. Right. I feel like that's... The Goofy movie that's, is a black movie. That's, that's the that's literally the, one of the blackest movies ever to exist, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm wrong in saying that. Of pop culture criticism I've ever read. And I literally read this essay. I think it's on Vice or Noisy. But there's this one line in it and it's like, the Goofy movie is like Fences, but with less abuse or something like that, and a happier ending. <laughs> and Tevin Campbell. And Tevin Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, Did you read that um, piece? I think it was by Sarah Haggy, where she theorizes that both Sonic and Bugs Bunny are black. Yes. I think that's, yeah, I think it linked into the Goofy movie um, article. Okay. Yeah, is Shrek black? That's the ultimate question. I do quite like the idea of Shrek just being an other. Because there's so many things like, why is he the only ogre? Why is he Scottish? (laughs) Othered in like pretty much every single way. Right. With that, the Scots are persecuted. I mean, yeah, Mary Queen of Scots is out now. Let's let's see what happens. Saoirse Ronan. I don't know if he has ending, so you're right. (laughs) Since we have all agreed that Shrek is an other, but not necessarily a person of colour, my ultimate question now... It's not necessarily an SOC, which is a Shrek of (laughs) colour. That's how I officially identify now. That's how I'm gonna, how I'm gonna mark myself on on the census form. Well, that's an O an O O C. That's o, ogre of color. <laughs> We're yet to encounter one, aren't we? I don't care if you're white, black, brown, yellow, green. <laughs> Reverse racism is not okay. <laughs> is donkey? The white saviour of the movie, since he is the only person who sees good in Shrek. Is he the Brad Pitt to our 12 years of slave? <laughs> oh, um, I would say probably not. No, I see it again as like, kind of like a racialized black character mm. um, helping unlock the potential of another character. In a similar way of say like, um, Oh God, it's been years since I last saw Kimmy Schmidt, but kind of the way that like Titus Burgess's character would um, inform this, you know, naive white girl who like just got out of being a captive for like a decade or two um, and kind of like guide her to become like a fully actualized adult woman in the human realm outside of her captor's basement, you know? Um, Kind of like, I think there was an article, a few, maybe two years ago, uh, about how for black women in television, the roles have recently moved from being um, the sassy black best friend and into being black therapists in TV. Um, and using the similar like, the similar uh, notions of like, black people will clean up with your messes, black folks are like wise, whatever, these kind of like, Mammy stereotypes almost um, for the white benefit. I would say that that's maybe more of the power play um, and the power dynamic in Shrek. Black emotional labor carrying the franchise. Exactly. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Grace? I will say one thing about these films is unlike many uh, sassy black friends across pop culture, uh, Donkey does actually get to have his own life outside of Shrek. Oh, entirely. <laughs> but how do you feel about him being paired up with a dragon who can't who can't talk? Well, this is another thing. And also, can we talk about the fact that for much of the films, Dragon is just kind of off doing her thing, and Donkey is, you know, leaving his kids to go off with Shrek. Is this another classic absent black father series? <laughs> Please tell us more. <laughs> 
I mean, who, you know, dragons there, slaving away, looking after their uh, monstrosities of dranky, dranky, donkey, <laughs> just drankies, you know. Dranky, what, what, what would be the other one? Um, Dunk- Duncan. Duncan. <laughs> There's a park oh, in Kent God. somewhere. It has two selling points. One, it has a giant swing. I think it was something like eight foot in the in width or wow. something like that its second selling point is that it had a zonkey which is a, a hybrid of a zebra and a donkey <laughs> it looked sad it was the saddest animal i have ever seen in my life so i think i think that's what donkey and dragon's kids are going to grow up to be just Absolutely. stuck in a park in kent trying to market a giant swing <laughs> when you crossbreed when you crossbreed equestrians for example um yeah. oh i forgot you are actually skilled in this subject aren't you what did you study at uni again i have a bfa in photography and a bsc in animal behavior wow yeah so please go on go on <laughs> are almost always sterile if i remember correctly for example mules which are half horse half donkey unilaterally sterile so you can't make a mules? I mean, no, you technically can't because you wouldn't be able to cross a horse with a with a mule. Could you not do that um, in vitro or not at all? Oh, I actually don't know. I don't know much about the gametes. How dare you? <laughs> You've ruined the show. Get off. <laughs> One thing to do. Hopefully, this is something that they'll uh, that they'll answer in. Um, <laughs> best song on the soundtracks let's Ooh. go um i again i will stand by holding out for a hero i think i'm with that although you know can we i think we need a moment actually just to talk about the phenomenon that is all star oh where to begin which is kind of developed into a cultural phenomenon like outside of the Shrek franchise now right how did you feel the first time you heard all star i'll nathan then grace um, I felt like I was um, infinite, um, endless, boundless. The world was my oyster, and I was ready to shuck it. After it had been rolling you. Exactly. <laughs> Personally, I felt fear, terror, and then joy in that order. Okay. It, it, was just, it was a lot to deal with, you know, experiencing such a pure like release of musical and emotional talent like that. It was, yeah, it was intense. But worth it, I would say. Steve Hartwell thanks you. He does thank you. He emailed me once. You know, you can. It's very easy to email him. I'm gonna find my email from him now. Uh, in, in case you don't know, he's the lead singer of uh, Smash Mouth. Okay, Steve Sarah, Hartwell. I'm right in thinking that he once made the claim, potentially directly to you, that he invented memes. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I'm. I'm literally pulling it up now. Okay. <clears throat> you ready? All Star made a move way beyond a mere song. I remember when that song was at its highest point. It became bigger than us, but also became us. This song attached to people like I've never seen before. It's a song for the underdog. It's a upbeat, <laughs> poppy song of faith and spirit. The song is like a team leader, a motivational speech in a way. 
But the biggest element about All Star is how fun it is to sing, and especially in groups of people. When we perform it, I pretty much let the audience sing it. So he doesn't even do his job. What are you paying for? Um, <laughs> I even extend the mic into the crowd and they carry it each and every time, no matter what city we're in. So it's a bit like that Adele TikTok. I was about to the, say, yeah. Yeah, with the gummy bears. What's your favorite variation of that? Mine is the one with the jewels. Oh, I really enjoyed the Avengers one. I haven't seen that one. What about you, Grace? I didn't know that this this TikTok had gone beyond the gummy bears. I'm also behind now. You so know, everything gets blown out of proportion on I'm the internet. I'm going to have to go with the OG. Okay. Yeah. We also saw a ton of high schools and colleges. Colleges also has an apostrophe. <laughs> do video tributes to it. It's nuts, but almost weekly, a new one is created. Then there's the Shrek element. If you think about it, this song will never, in caps, go away because every new kid that is bored will watch Shrek. And All Star, and All Star starts the movie off. As far as a meme, well, quote unquote meme, I really think Smash Mouth invented the meme. There wasn't even the internet when we first started. We embrace it 100%. Bring it on. <laughs> I yeah, very that. Honestly, was... this is such a great energy, Jesus. I know. All those years later, as well, right? To the press release, or rather, just like, hey, Sarah, just check in. And did you know I invented me? <laughs> no, I was writing a piece for a, a piece about it, but then. Uh, some live stuff happened and I wasn't able to file it, which is a shame because it was a re- it was going to be a really good one. But maybe one day I'll put it out in the world. In this podcast for now, at least. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe I could collate my research and then do a special episode on the song All Star. Um, but yeah, I, I'm surprised he was able to ruminate so aptly on it, especially when I feel like Smash Mouth gets very sensitive about All Star. Yeah. Understandably. Do you guys remember the video that was going around uh, at the Trump inauguration? It was like a fake video of Smash Mouth performing All Star. No. No. But that would have been a heartbreak. A oh, heartbreaking no. experience. It was a concerning few days before they came forward, like, like we would never do this. I mean, and now Smash Mouth is probably the most radical band to exist. Oh, you know, support... really quite radical. The guy who sang the Pokemon theme song, um, his YouTube channel now, he's taken down a lot of his videos, but he, for a while, would um, essentially parody different songs, including the Pokemon song, uh, for his different political and ideological beliefs. So the Pokemon song, he actually rewrote it to be about, um, oh God, what is his name? Um, the American politician, um, Rand Paul. Wow. Okay, so some anti-libertarian propaganda. It was incredible. Or he 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 reworked Superstition um, by Stevie Wonder. So it was about how circumcision is forced male genital um, genital mutilation. It was incredible. Incredible. Oh wow. That's I didn't even one know. Cure a legacy. Right. Yeah, forget having a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame that birds will just shit all over. Exactly. Mm. So what is it about the franchise that connected so much to, or with, rather, our generation? Oh, I mean, like, it kind of, 
as like we discussed a bit earlier, I think it's in the way that it was targeted at kind of like as young adults entertainment, but also entertainment for the whole family. Um, I think it allowed people to kind of access more um, advanced sounds weird, but it allowed people to pretend they were a bit more advanced into adulthood than they were with the kind of like crude sex jokes and the crude jokes around bodies, etc. Um, I think also in recent years, Shrek has kind of like resurged as a meme. There's for a while Shrek became this kind of like incel hero. Shrek is love, Shrek is life. Um, Shrek became this, the subject of so many crude videos, CGI animations, texts, etc., about Shrek having sex, Shrek being violent, Shrek embodying all the kind of like chaotic and terrible and creative energy that 4chan is known for, um, to the point where Shrek started having, Shrek had its own um, 4chan board, Shrek-chan. Um, and through those absolutely horrendous dark web videos, they were then disseminated across the internet. And Shrek relived, I would say around 2012 to 2014, Shrek relived um, kind of like the life of a micro-celebrity, um, which to this day, you still see Shrek memes in circulation. You see, for example, the Just We Did a Full Napolis meme, uh, but instead of it being Celine Dion, it's uh, Shrek's head on top of the sim. I think the kind of like the resurgence of Shrek and the attachment our generation has with Shrek is simply because, in a lot of ways, we haven't been able to escape Shrek. Shrek will always be there. So, do you think a similar thing is happening with Gritty because they share that kind of grotesque quality about them, that grotesque but lovable quality? That's true. Because uh-huh. Gritty should have died by now, right? Entirely. And the same thing with Mr. Blobby or whatever. <laughs> How did you find out about Mr. Blobby Nathan? Was it through the internet? Um, I've got British friends who tried to explain it, and I was just like, this seems like when you try to like explain like a childhood TV show that no one actually, who never, no one who hasn't watched it would ever care about. Um, and I kind of had that kind of interaction with Mr. Blobby, where I was like, I understand that it's a person in the same way that. Any guardian colonist is a person uh, without actually knowing who they are or what they do. Mr. Uh, Blobby is a centrist. Like, genuine. Actually, I will say though, a few weeks ago, there was this video that uh, Mr. Blobby showing up on that show with um, Philip Schofield or whatever. Oh, yeah, this morning. This morning, uh, yeah. And he throws the door open, he knocks over a table, he like somersaults onto a couch. It is one of the most beautiful cinematic accomplishments anyone has done in the past 10 years. Um, he just wants chaos. Yeah. Mr. Yeah, that's Blobby. true. I was, it, yeah, I think that's something that Tim, Gritty and Shrek all share in common, especially like this new wave of memes, is they're just like chaotic. Right. Oh, entirely. And in some way they kind of evoke what's going on in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. We're all I think we've all reached the point where we've just stopped trying to hide how <laughs> how messed up our heads are collectively as a generation. Right. I mean, isn't that kind of the energy behind the whole mimology of seeing a hot person and saying, hit me with your car? Is that yeah. a, I'm so full of chaos, can you at least stop me? Exactly. You know, the only thing I, I, I uh, require from you is death, release. Right, Exactly. 
that would make me happier than sex. <laughs> Most things would, let's be real. <laughs> Grace, since you have a meme folder and I don't, this is our dynamic on the show. <laughs> That's she, true. Uh, I, I'm too disorganized to make a meme folder and I never remember anything to make a meme folder with. You and Shrek memes, let's go over it. What's your personal experience with them? You know, I tried to avoid, um, I tried to avoid kind of like um, the, again, the, the Shrek memes that were commonplace from Shrek Chan, simply because A, they seem quite graphic and I don't deal well with content and material. But also B, out of respect for Shrek, obviously I'm not going to share um, inaccurate depictions of Shrek. Um, in terms of Shrek's memes, I feel, I feel like in terms of Shrek memes, I have become a living, breathing Shrek meme. Uh, a few months ago, I was at a, at a house party um, and I was talking to, talking to a dear friend who I will not name. Um, and Shrek came up as like, Shrek should have, Shrek is great. Um, and she just turned to me and was just like, Nathan, like, look, I really don't know how you do it, but every time we go out, you find at least one way to crowbar Shrek into a conversation. <laughs> And I was like, that's it's not the fair. Only, it's the only good conversation topic. Yeah, absolutely. I never like, want to talk about anything else. Yeah, how are you? How are you doing? Let's talk about Shrek. Yeah, exactly. You've got to got to try a little tenderness. You know, you've you just uh, it's got life advice. Exactly. Right there. Exactly. In the text. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. It sure does. So are you uh, pro or anti uh, Shrek is love, Shrek is life? I mean, can we, can we delve a little bit deeper into this cultural phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, I can't say that I've actually like looked at that much of it because, again, out of respect for Shrek, Shrek's character, um, it's not something I was interested in actually exploring. It's something that I have read about. There's an incredible piece in The Atlantic from 2014 that kind of traces Shrek's um, continued existence in the pop culture universe through Shrek is Love, Shrek is Life. Um, but again, I haven't directly interfaced with that. I find, um, I mean, again, that kind of like, that kind of content and that kind of visual material and language that 4chan will rely on. I'm not sure I want in my browsing history. It is, I would say Shrek is Love, Shrek is Life is definitely character defamation. At least with the popularity from 4chan kind of spilling out into the mainstream um, sectors of the internet it was reappropriated as this wholesome and weird figure. You yeah, that's true. It created an identity or fought an identity for itself that extended beyond the parameters of these movies. Shrek in itself just, it became a phenomenon because of the movie, just because of Shrek. Right. And, and I think in some way that led to that 3GI remake, which right. have either of you watched it? I haven't I, seen it yet. I've watched the trailer and that was, that was quite a lot. I sat down. It took me probably about 10 to 15 minutes to really get on board. But then after that, I thought it was gorgeous. I don't know how to explain it any other way. Have you way. watched the whole thing? You've watched all of it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All, I think it was something like two hours. It's it's a commitment. That's incredible. Um, 
I don't know. It just, and I was reading through the comments and there wasn't a single negative comment there, which was surprising. And a lot of people were saying, you know, this is like the old days of YouTube, which was, um, you know, quite an interesting thing to think about because, you know, now it's populated with white supremacist videos from white supremacists mm. and white supremacist videos from beauty bloggers, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> and instead of making like these weird, you know, animations or YouTube poops as they were once known, something beautiful has come come out of it and something uh you know it's kind of like this this dadaist <laughs> reinterpretation right. of this of this this film that should ha that should have lost cultural relevance a couple years after it came out and yet it hasn't i'm wondering like so you know dreamworks have carried on going they've done what like kung fu panda despicable the minions the, right. the minions and i feel like the minions have got you know some kind of cultural resonance but are the minions going to be around in 10 years or will we be talking about them in the same way as we do shrek i would say so actually the minions despicable despicable me i think is the only other i think out of the top 20 highest grossing film franchises in history i think despicable me is the only other animated one in addition to the Shrek franchise. I'll have to double check that, but I'm pretty sure that's um, true. But also, yeah, you can see it with Despicable Me too. Right now, the Despicable Me and Minion meme universe is becoming incredibly sexual. It's becoming incredibly graphic, incredibly violent. Um, we've all seen a thick Minion. The years that is just a baseline fact. Um, I would say that, yeah, we can kind of, through Shrek's trajectory, um, we can maybe predict the Minions' trajectory. Well, I do think they have staying power, but perhaps it's just a bit like more accelerated than Shrek was because the internet is much more, it's like um, a bigger part of our daily vernacular. And how sure, we're... like the memes could be, they were just basically ready to go as soon as that film came out, whereas exactly. with Shrek, there was obviously like quite a long delay. Exactly. I wonder if that is. And the well, memes like... are also divorced from the movie as well, you know? Yeah, that's really so... true. Can I just, as an aside, um, so 3GI, the, the comedy troupe who, um, who directed the fan made remake of uh, the original Shrek film that was released in November. Um, so the way that they started working with Shrek, uh, they're from Madison, Wisconsin, and about five years ago, they started a um, an annual summer festival called Shrek Fest, where um, people I don't know they dress up as different Shrek characters. They participate in different Shrek related activities. Surely there's a screening. Um, I found out about this because about a year ago I was asleep and I had this very very pedestrian dream of getting into a cab to take me to like a train station, and I made the cab driver pull over because I looked out the window and I saw a flyer for Shrek Fest. And I was like, that sounds incredible. So I went on the internet, on the Twitter, and tweeted about seeing a flyer for Shrek Fest. And within 30 minutes, I had no idea Shrek Fest actually existed, but they were there. They found my Twitter, they found my tweet and said, hey, we're here. I was like, who are you? And they were like, <laughs> We're the Twitter from your dreams. It's just like, oh my God, destiny. Yeah. That's modern advertising right there. Right, right. We can't get better We've got it into our dreams. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to go. I mean, I'm pretty sure it would stink. 
And the, <laughs> that's also the reason I refused to go to that drag. What's it? What's the one in London? Drag What's world. the drag convention? Drag world. I was like, nope. Word. Do not want to smell balls and. <laughs> in latex no no you would you wouldn't because it was just entirely teenage girls okay <laughs> okay i guess that's somewhat better so yeah maybe shrek fest might be a little bit smellier than drug world <laughs> just a tad just a tad if it's not smelling um, like a swamp i'm not going I'm just putting that out there i want authentic swamp or i want nothing Right. Well, it might be a gentrified swamp, so there'll be a, a you know, pool uh, table. True. No. I mean, Shrek's swamp was pretty gentrified even in the first film. We saw all those fairy tale creatures rocking up. At least he didn't have a eucalyptus plant. That's when you know he's gone too far. <laughs> Is that a thing now? Eucalyptus and rose gold Twitter. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. You visited Shrek World in London, didn't you, Nathan? God bless Shrek's adventure. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Highly recommend. What is it? I know nothing about it. I know it's Please there. Please inform us. Yeah, it exists. <laughs> Shrek? <laughs> like, M- like M&M World. Right. I would say Shrek's adventure is such a bizarre experience. It's marketed as an interactive tour slash interactive immersive experience in central London. Um, almost everyone I've talked to from London, I was in London in December, I decided I wanted to visit it with two of my friends. Everyone else was like, oh yeah, that's something that exists, yes. Um, but no one had actually been before, and I was like, I really need to explore this, I want to figure out what it is. Um, Shrek's Adventure was opened, it initially opened, if I remember correctly, in 2015. Um, and it is, it's part of the kind of like tourism family uh, with like London Dungeon and the London Eye, actually. Shrek's Adventure is directly underneath the London Eye. Um, so like very, very central, um, but also very, very bizarre. Um, essentially, it is a immersive tour through which you and your group of compatriots um, are meant to believe that you're going on a trip to far, far away, to the kingdom of far, far away. Um, and you board a double-decker bus for some reason. It's a bit like the narrative is a bit spotty. Um, you board a double decker bus, you're flying to far, far away, and you hit a witch. Hit and run, whatever. The witch dies. Um, it turns out the witch was actually the um, Rumpelstiltskin's fiance. Um, so then Rumpelstiltskin is trying to kill you, and you have to like work with different characters from like Doris, the ugly stepsister, to a. Um, insensitively portrayed soothsayer, shall we say, um, to kind of create a potion and then save Shrek and save Far, Far Away from Rumpelstiltskin's rage. Um, yeah, it is such a strange experience. The later, late stage articulations of the franchise, bizarre. Um, they, what was I gonna say? Oh yeah, actually when you like, when you enter, when you're waiting on the platform and Fiona's like talking to you, they have plenty of live actors and actresses um, who then interact with um, projections on the screen. Uh, so for example, Fiona was talking to um, a video of Donkey, uh, which got quite funny about 30 seconds in because I think she might've either missed a word or spoken too fast and she <laughs> she got completely out of sync. So you'd have like the donkey talking over her and she at one point just gave up and she was like, 
this. It's just not going to shut up, is he? Um, but it, yeah, I don't know. It's a very bizarre experience. Have you two gone? Are you interested in going? I'm very interested in going. There's actually no. a point in my life where I was working for, thank God it's shut down now because it's the worst place in London, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not in Piccadilly Circus. Oh, of course. Also part of the same uh, tourism family. And there's a period in 2015 where people started defecting and um, moving over to Shrek's Kingdom instead. Right. And it's this big rivalry, and I kept going. Like, oh. <laughs> I just realized what you said. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice nice language i appreciate it <laughs> defecting from from the kingdom <laughs> oh this is, that was an accidental it was beautiful you, you're, you're poetic um but yeah every time someone would leave and they'd be like i'm going to stretch kingdom i'd be like please take me with you i need to work there <laughs> and yeah i wasn't i wasn't chosen so for that reason alone i've still not been obviously i've got some uh, deep-seated grudges Right. You need to get us, hook us up with free tickets. We need to go. So, do you sit on something that resembles um, an onion, horse, and carriage? Um, for no, to I will say, okay, for how shoddy some of the construction is, uh, like most of the costumes at Shrek's Adventures did look like they were just straight off the rack at H and M, with like I don't know, like a little gold bead sewn on to be like, oh, it's fancy. You're a knight now. Um, for how shoddy some aspects of the experience were um there was also a really incredible 4d um bus ride where yeah you board this quote-unquote like double-decker red london bus um and then put on 3d glasses and the way that they shot or the way that they animated the bus ride was actually so realistic that i started getting roller coaster stomach like lurches you know, when you start going down and then up, um, you hit a loop and your stomach just drops or your stomach flies out. The 4D managed to do that. It was incredible. Shrek viscerally moved you. I would say so. Yeah. That's incredible. That's pretty deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's everyone's favorite piece of media in the Shrek CU? Ooh. Ooh. The big question. First. I'm personally a big fan of kind of the, like, the extensions of the films they always did so like for the first one there was kind of like the like the wedding reception part basically just anytime they sang a load of songs so i think yeah in the first one they sing a load of songs at shrek and fiona's wedding and then like in the second one there's like far far away idol right. i'm obsessed with the ridiculousness of any of those like extra themes so what was it was it called shrekily ever after is that what it's called <laughs> I mean, it is now. Yeah. It's canon. And also, I'm a liar. I've remembered my actual favourite bit, if I may, which is that Tom Waits and Nick Cave made original songs for Shrek 2. I just think that's beautiful. They did? They sure did. God, they got everyone, didn't they? Yeah, did. It's a white man's fantasy. Rufus Wainwright, Jeff Buckley, Counting Crows. Oh. Eels. The no, the <laughs> All I remember about Counting Crows is like one of the guys has dreads, right? The white guy. Well, that would not surprise dreads. Yeah. Their songs like reek of someone having dreads. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally in love, yeah. That's the one. That, that is mm. a Okay, what about you, Nathan? I would say I love, there's so many bits of Shrek trivia, which I think is also why my friends, um, 
perhaps a low tolerance for my discussions of Shrek. <laughs> um, but I find them genuinely quite interesting. Shrek, for example, won the, um, until like, what, three years ago, Shrek had more Oscars than Leo. Shrek won the first Oscar for Best Animated Picture. Um, Shrek 2, I think, got a Grammy. Shrek has had more- It was nominated for Wait. the Palm Door at Cannes as well. Has Shrek E got it? <gasps> no, it doesn't have a um, Emmy yet. Oh, <gasps> damn it. Oh, it has so a Grammy, good. Oscar, and a Tony. So it's got. Yeah. It's got it. Exactly. Shrek, oh. Shrek the Musical, nominated for eight, eight Tonys. Wow. Have you, have you seen the musical? I haven't yet, which is such a shame. It actually uh, premiered in a limited run in Seattle while I was living there. Um, but at that point, I was denying my true identity as a Shrek fan. Oh. Um, I was at university. I had to put on a face. You know the deal, et cetera, et cetera. We've all been there. Right. Does the musical have a lottery app? I will enter the Shrek lottery. I don't care. You know I will pay £10 for this front row Shrek ticket. I generally don't know if there's even a lottery. I think you can probably just show up at the door. You can probably, probably be desperate to give away tickets. I mean, look, Shrek's Adventure, top tip for listeners looking to join. Um, go on Groupon, it's half off. So, uh, Sarah, next time you're in London, I think we have <laughs> that's, that's this Friday. Shrek's <laughs> Adventure, let's make it happen. Oh no! Oh no! You still been? She's been trying to get me to see Wicked for ages, and I've always found a way around it. <laughs> but I don't know if I'll be able well, to get out of seeing Shrek. Sh- <laughs> going to the Shrek experience. We've got one fictional POC elf, but we've got to support another fictional POC Shrek. So exactly, and they're both green. You know, it's still representation. Yeah, representation it's not matters. Easy being green. So I've heard. That was profound. Thank you. <laughs> I have never heard anything like that before in my life. Come for the Shrek, and- stay for the wisdom. Okay, and what's next for Shrek? And what are your thoughts and feelings on the um, rumoured remake? I think, I mean, essentially one thing that I think a lot about with regards to Shrek is that Shrek so successfully satired so many different elements of the classic traditional fairy tale narrative. Um, For example, again, things about Destiny, it satired like how the princess narrative and rescuing the princess um, as a task to prove one's worth. It it addresses those narratives. Um, I hope that if there is a remake, it addresses uh, the idea of a happy ending, simply because I feel like Shrek deserves one. It is one of the things that I find really interesting about experiences like Shrek's Adventures or the 3GI film, is this kind of like idea that, you know, these franchises, especially children's franchises, um, there's so much capitalist incentive to continue ringing them out for all that they're worth, to continue making weird spin-off TV shows, weird kind of like almost off-licensed comedy sets. Um, however, I think it would just be really validating to kind of see like the happy ending of Shrek. Where, what does that look like? Will it address, for example, the gendered relationships and gender dynamics we were talking about earlier? What through the satirical lens of the Shrek cinematic universe, what does a happy ending entail? That's true. But also the the screenwriter of Shrek was caught saying some weird stuff about the N-word no. a couple oh, of weeks ago. Yeah, so maybe we should... right? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, because he was comparing it. He was. He was comparing it to slurs, wasn't he? he that was it. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, maybe we need to... Um, 
reappropriate his franchise and make it even better for a new generation of Shrek stars. Shrekistan. Okay, and and like an ideal storyline, both of you. What would it be? What do you want to see from the Shrek remake? Like, do we want? I want revisit the old narrative, or do we want something like completely new? I say just modernize it and make essentially take the formula behind "Call Me by Your Name" but make it about Shrek. And the peach is the onion. Exactly. Oh, Oh, yeah. That makes perfect sense. (laughs) So Timothy Chalamet is is Shrek. Uh, Armand Hammer is Fiona. Sounds about right. So instead of Edo, 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 it's just Shrek, Shrek, Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) And um, what are your director and writer predictions? Grace, you go first, then then Nathan, you go. Switch it up. Whoa. I very much think, who who is it that did it? Um, did the remake on YouTube. 3GI. Let's get 3GI to do it. They know the franchise. They're creative. They've got some ideas. Intimately. If not, I would say give it to Lord and Miller. The only people that would be absolutely amazing. That can take something that just does not sound plausible and turn it into a decent um, family film. Well, that's where, where Lucasfilm failed with uh, the Han Solo movie. They had they had Lord and Miller and they got rid so of Lord and Miller three. because they wanted to protect the legacy of the Castans um, or Castans. I don't know how you fucking pronounce it. It still makes me mad because it's a shit movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lord and Miller could have made it incredible. But whatever, it's done. They paid their price. You know, it's done. We've moved um, what about... What about you, Nathan? Who do you who who would you want to write and direct it? Ooh, I would really like to see Regi um, have some involvement in there because I also think they have such a positive attitude towards the franchise that kind of like I mean, it's like when you have a super fan on some like uh, reality television show where they bring in someone who like loves drag queens and loves RuPaul and gets them to like get a makeover and like the energy there is just so infectious. Um, I feel like that would be a really, I also think that would be a really great addition to the franchise, um, bringing in people like that. Also people like us, I don't know. Again, they know where to find us. Um, I think maybe actually, perhaps more realistic, I would not be surprised if Mindy Kaling hops on the project. I feel like it's very much her sense of humor. And she is so good with those cultural references and kind of seamlessly uh, blending them into a narrative as well. Am I right in thinking she's on the remake trial now? Like she's just done a remake of Four Weddings and a Funeral, I think. Did she? Okay. Yeah, I found out about this the other day. It's an American TV remake. Uh, Okay, so they're doing the same thing with that as they're doing with What We Do in the Shadows then. Interesting. Interesting. And uh, a director, Nathan? Oh, uh, this one's tough. Um, I don't know, actually. I don't know that much about how um, directors work in terms of uh, animated films. <laughs> it doesn't really matter if they've got experience in animation or not. Let's just let's just go wild. I think it would be really fun, again, to get the guy from Suspiria and Call Me By Your Name and just see how he deals with this grotesque humor. Oh, my God. like an 18-rated Shrek. It's going to be three hours long. Fiona's going to be wearing two ropes to cover up her nether regions. <laughs> That's literally going to be it. Tilda Swinton would be a donkey. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is an important question. Shrek, who do we want to play him and will he still be Scottish? You can't lose the accent. No, you can't. It's synonymous with Shrek. I feel like they might be tempted to get an actual Scot to do it. Mm -hmm. But I would also find that a bit jarring. I don't know. I think 
I mean, look, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, um, and Mike Myers, they're all alive. Just get the original cast in there. But Cameron Diaz quit acting to be the good Charlotte wife, right? Oh, did she? Yeah, because she hasn't been in anything for ages, has yeah, she? This is where she quit well, ages well, ago. Last thing I've seen her in, maybe like Bad Teacher. Oof. No, she was in that, she was in that, um, she was in that movie, I swear to God it was only three years ago, um, where it's three women trying to get revenge on men who are cheating on them. Oh, the, the woman, Nicki Minaj. Exactly. Right. Oh, that's, so she's her boss, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, she has retired. She's definitely retired. Wow, Cameron. Wow. She's too good. She's too good for the industry. That's true. We don't (laughs) She's too good for the holiday as well. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm putting it out there. Right. Nora Ephron did not die for that. Um, (laughs) For Nancy Myers to exist. I'm sorry Nora Ephron was still alive. (laughs) I know, I know. Let me warp the the Thailand... (laughs) Let me warp the timeline to fit my narrative. Okay? As, as in Shrek 4. <laughs> <laughs> Nora Ephron should have di- should direct the Shrek reboot. You know what? She should. She actually, yeah. Nora Ephron would kill it. Mindy Kaling would die to work with Nora Ephron. Let's be oh, real. Absolutely. And um, yeah, tell you what, I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm bringing Nora Ephron back from the, from the dead to direct. And she's going to co-write it with Mindy Kaling. But what if she wants to put Billy Crystal or Tom Hanks in it? I wouldn't mind as long as Billy Crystal's role was like minimal and really annoying. Yeah. That's the only uh, role he's good at playing at. True. And I think this is our last question. Ooh. Are we all just Shrek waiting for our Fionas? I mean, I feel like in terms of how the love story, especially in the film, unfolds, I would say no, because the entire thing with Shrek and Fiona's origin story is that Shrek was using Fiona as a pawn to reclaim his agency rather than as a sexual being. It was like, rather than as like a prospective partner or someone he could like have a one night shag with. Um, Instead, he was just like, okay, this is a task to do. I need to save this woman so then I can get my swamp back. Um, In terms of what they ended up finding, also no. I feel like the way the later Shrek films worked out is that is in a way that kind of like um, emphasized that their relationship wasn't all that it was meant to be and that they were running into marital issues. I think we deserve more. And their relationship was predicated on lies as well. Right? Yeah. And also, like, he lied about his identity and she lied about her turning into an ogre at night. Exactly. And uh, they weren't honest with each other from the get-go. Right. And rushed into marriage. Oh, 100%. Grace? Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I thought so I think you guys have hit the nail on the head. You know, a relationship forged on a blackmail, lies and treachery. It's never going to last forever, is it? Even the sassy black sidekick can't save you from that one. Right. Okay, Nathan, thank you very much for talking with us and so uh, Nathan, that was putting cool. up with our annoying selves. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I feel like a changed woman. I feel like a changed ogre. Yes, I mean, we'll sing Ariana Grande's Dangerous Woman, but (laughs) replace it with changed ogre. Dangerous ogre? A a different ogre. (laughs) Dangerous ogre ogre to start our Shrek reboot and uh, changed ogre to end our Shrek reboot. Covered by Smash Mouth, right? Obviously. I mean, yeah. 
What about okay. Ronda singing Natural Woman, but it's Natural Ogre? Oh, I mean, as we That's know for an 18 rated Luca Guadagnino uh, version, that will be the song of the soundtrack for Sexy. Oh, true. But it will be Tom York. <laughs> Tom <laughs> York and Ariana Grande. You make me feel like a natural woman. That's my Tom York impression. Okay, it was beautiful, right? Yeah. I know, I nailed it. Okay, let's wrap this up because I don't want to edit too much. <laughs> How can we find you on the social media? Yes. So you can find me on Twitter at Nathan in Berlin. You can also find me on Instagram uh, at NTHNM. That's Instagram.com slash NTHNM. Um, please direct all marriage proposals and job offers there. If you have any hate mail, you can find me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Sarah Sahim. <laughs> yes, please do. You know uh, you recognize it because it's. Me. You'll recognize it because I'm verified. You know, I just want to point that out. I'm verified. <laughs> In case you didn't know, I'm verified. Uh, <laughs> okay. And Grace, where can we find you online? So, me personally, you can go to twitter.com forward slash Grace Simone. That's Grace like the grace of God and Simone like Nina Simone. And Sarah, how can you find both yourself and this podcast? There, but for the grace of God, go I. Um, I to twitter.com forward slash Sarah Sahim. See, I made it biblical. And you can find. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so cultured. Yeah, we know about God and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Heard of her? Ibrahim. And you can uh, find this podcast also on the Twitters, Crazy Coincidence, at You Ought to Know Pod, but that's without a W, I believe. Is that right, Sarah? Yes, because we ran out of space. We sure did. Do you yeah. have any special uh, Valentine's Day messages you'd like to send to your husband, Nathan, who doesn't exist, but for all intents and purposes, we're going to pretend exists? His husband, sure. Obviously. Yes, um, uh, to my husband on this very special day, uh, January 13th, um, I just like to extend, I, I accept your apology. Um, you don't exist, and that's fine. And do you have anything to say to your husband, Grace? I would like to say that I'm sorry for being a Scorpio and I'm sorry that if we bone on Valentine's Day, we're going to be bringing more Scorpios into the world. We can get through this. We can get past this. I love you. Scorpio lives matter. I think that's the ultimate lesson of this show. They sure do. Sarah, any last words from you? For my husband or just in general, what do you want to know from me, Grace? I would like to hear what you want to say to your husband. We've got horribly heteronormative, by the way. Fuck off. That's what I say to my husband. <laughs> I've just made it gay again. Good lad. Beautiful. Okay then. Thank you all. Good boy. Goodbye. Good boy. Bye. Bye.